Dice Podcast, co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, Ryan Silverstein, The Red Herring. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. Now, before we get to the question, we like to share what we have been watching lately. And so, Ryan, what's your flick pick for this week? Uh, so my flick pick for this episode is uh, The Hunger, uh, which is uh, an early Tony Scott film from 1983. It is a vampire movie uh, starring Catherine uh, Deneuve. I don't know. I'm so bad at French pronunciation. <laughs> Listen, don't worry about it. I am too. I, At some point, I should tell you about my experience of actually going to Paris and basically just being a mute because yeah, i was no, so embarrassed I, I have a similar i i have a similar story um but uh yeah so uh catherine deneuve is in it as well as david bowie and susan sarandon um and i actually didn't really know about this movie until it popped up on the criterion channel um and their banner and i was like oh this is a movie i need to watch immediately um because i do enjoy a good vampire flick and this is kind of the movie that I thought only lovers left alive was going to be. Okay. Uh, whereas that movie is, uh, lifeless pun kind of intended. Um, you know, and it's not a bad movie. It's just one where the, like hearing the concept for it, I imagined a different movie than what Jim Jarmusch made. Um, but this. Yeah. And Jarmusch films. I mean, I feel like, you have to be in the mood when you're going to watch one of his, you know, because I feel there are times if I'm not ready for it, he could frankly put me to sleep. Oh, definitely. I fell asleep during Only Lovers Left Alive at least three or four. It, it took me a long time to get through that movie, let's just say. Um, okay. And he's very hit or miss for me as a filmmaker in general. And and honestly, so is Tony Scott. Um, but I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I really enjoyed just the the um the tone and the just the the style of it the aesthetics the performances are all good it's just a really fun stylish vampire movie uh, and the opening is basically a um music video for uh Bela Lugosi's Dead so it's just it is <laughs> it's it starts with a bang and then it kind of settles into a very kind of you know not slow but kind of languid story and it really does emphasize that sort of long life that vampires have yeah i actually same you know thing i caught it because of the criterion channel and i just watched it recently for the first time as well and i really enjoyed it yeah no i would definitely um i believe if this episode's coming out in the month of april it'll still be on there but even if it's not it's worth seeking out i think Agreed. Yeah. And honestly, I think The Hunger, it may have come on the Criterion channel before. So I think it's one of those like a frequent flyer. Mm -hmm. Like if you miss it this time, it'll probably pop up there again. Yeah. So definitely keep an eye out for it. Uh, so Rosalie, what have you been watching recently? Yeah. So on a previous episode, I mentioned that I had recently watched the 1958 movie, The Fly, and I realized that I needed to watch more Vincent Price flicks. Mm. So 
in continuing this exploration, I watched the 1953 movie House of Wax. And I say the year because you probably are aware it was remade at one point with Paris Hilton. So I just want to really <laughs> specify that. I did not watch that version. Although after purchasing the 53 version, when it arrived here at the house, Ben said, oh, well, why don't you just get the Paris Hilton one too? And you know, I just, I, I resisted with that purchase. There's some times where I just can't, where right. there's just something in me where I'm like, you know, that's just something I just can't do. I feel if I was going to watch the Paris Hilton one, there would have to be lots of alcohol. Oh, for sure. Like, you know, like it would have to be like, I'd have to prepare before, like, I just can't pop that in for the evening. Um, but anyway, with the 53 one, it's what surprised me. And I noticed this about a lot uh, with a lot of older flicks in particular. This is basically a story of insurance. And I think you'd agree with me that a lot of older films, like the center or the focal point of the film is insurance. Yes. And it's, it's either insurance so, or a deed that you need to physically have in your hands for it to be valid. Yes, wills. Yes. Lots of, yes, people dying and their last wishes. Mm -hmm. And But with this, the opening scene, have you seen this movie, House of Wax? Uh, I have not. Okay. Well, I'm not really spoiling anything here, but the in the opening scene, it is just absolute mayhem, like right from the get-go. Basically, Vincent Price, who's the main character, he creates these wax figures. And I have been to a wax museum. I find them very interesting. Um, have you been to one? Uh, I have not been to one in a very long time. But every time I pass a wax museum, like there's one in Niagara Falls. And, okay. Um, they had in their window, this. we were there, I want to say in 2018. And yes. there were two big window displays were uh, Heath Ledger's Joker from Dark Knight. And oh, so this was like more newer. Right. Well, characters. yeah, okay. I mean, new, newer because the other one was uh, Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. So oh, God. <laughs> it wasn't exactly like, at, you know, super hip with the times. <laughs> like these were still several years old as their newest you know. Well, yeah. And I guess, you know, that's saying my age because I'm thinking like, oh, Heath Ledger Joker is so recent. Like, we, that's like 20 years ago. We've already had two Jokers since then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but yeah, so you went to this Niagara Falls Wax Museum. And I will say the quality of the ones that they were showing on display at the entrance were much higher in quality than the ones that were inside. And I was like, <laughs> I, I can see who this is yeah. trying to be, but it's not quite, it's not quite there. But I've never well, been this... to a like Madame Tassad's, you know, more legit wax museum. Okay. Which this is actually leading into what I was going to mention is kind of the heart of the movie is... Vincent Price creates these, you know, wax recreations of prominent people, famous people, but he really looks at it as an art. 
you know, he studies the photos of people. Like, for example, he his prized wax figure is a Marie Antoinette. Like, he's very happy with how it turned out and just the process that he did to create it. Um, but what happens in the beginning of the film is he has another another guy who is his partner in this venture. And he finds that the business is really not making any sort of profit. And his idea, his scheme is, we'll just burn it down and collect <laughs> the insurance. That's awesome. Yeah. And of course, Vincent is mortified by this because he like talks to these wax figures and sees them as people. I think he even at one point called them people. And the guy's just like, I don't, I don't care. These wax figures <laughs> are stupid. You're stupid. And he just literally starts pouring gas on everything. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. And strikes a match. And that is the opening is these wax figures. And what I loved about it was you literally see them melting. Oh, that's cool. Melting which, is always a good effect, honestly. It is really creepy. And it also then, now Ben hadn't seen this movie yet, Possessor, which is um, David Cronenberg's son, mm -hmm. Brandon Cronenberg, his new movie. But what was cool, I saw it at Sundance, but it, this House of Wax made me think of it because he was speaking during a Q&A about special effects of how they did this one scene of like, literally, it looked like skin melting. And he said, oh, yeah, that was wax. Oh, that's and cool. yeah. And so like seeing House of Wax, I was like, practical effects are just so cool. They are. Yeah. So it it starts with this place basically getting set ablaze and you kind of go from there. Of course, everyone thinks that Vincent Price died in this fire and then suddenly murders start occurring. And Vincent Price shows back up, and when he does show back up, he's opening a new wax museum. But instead of them being, I guess, like, wax figures are made from, like, I think it's, like, initially maybe, like, a styrofoam or plaster-type material, mm -hmm. and then they cover them with the wax. Okay. Well, his wax figures are actually being made from corpses. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's it's definitely a film that I can see myself talking about on my other program, Cinematic Crypt. Yes. Um, which, for those that don't know about that program, I basically uncover old films. And the, pri the primary thing is they have to be films starring dead people. So whoever I'm talking about, the person of interest has to be six feet under. Mm-hmm. Um, so it tends to be a lot of older films, but this is definitely one I could see myself talking about. I, I loved it. I highly recommend. Yeah, no, it's definitely on my list to check out. Actually, uh, just to quickly mention, I, mm -hmm. um, TCM, their star of the month is Jane Russell. Oh, um, yes, because you've been catching a lot of her stuff. I have. And uh, one of her movies, His Kind of Woman from 1951, uh, Vincent Price is in it. Okay. And he kind of shows up at the last hour. It's a very weird mashup of like a noir that becomes an adventure movie. 
halfway oh. through. Um, okay. It's it's one of those that like it's not a great movie, but it's actually really fun. And Vincent Price's character basically runs around wearing a cape, quoting Shakespeare, and threatening people with a gun. <laughs> no, that sounds exactly like what he does. Uh, I mean, yeah, because I think in House of Wax, he also is wearing a cape. If I recall, when he's doing his murders, you know. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah, and I did want to mention too. When watching this, if you're into wax, okay, if you like wax creatures, um, there is another wax movie. <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about wax <laughs> movies. No, I can. I mean, it's 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 right. But anyway, there's a 1935 Peter Laurie flick, which also, this I think played at a previous TCM festival called Mad Love. In which Peter Lorre, he like obsesses over this, I think she was like a, an opera singer or just a singer in general, but he obsesses over her and there was in the auditorium where she performed a wax figure of her. Well, he takes it and he like obsesses over this wax figure of this woman and like dresses it. It's very bizarre. Um but that is also on DVD. I um, I picked that up. It was in one of those like combo sets, like old MGM horror. Oh, and you yeah, got like yeah. six movies and it was like $10 or something. But what's nice about this set is they only put like two movies on a disc. So they're like pretty good quality. Whereas I don't know if you've picked up one of those sets before and it's like, They'll use both sides of the disc. Right. And, and it's like 10 movies on, on a disc. Yeah. yeah. I don't really like that. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice because movies like that, they'll like, that's the only way they put them out. Mm -hmm. But I prefer getting it like House of Wax. I picked up on DVD. It was, that was the only way I could find it. I don't know if it's on Blu-ray, um, but it would be a good one to put on Blu-ray because it's also a Technicolor. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I feel like films that are really brightly uh, Technicolor and films that are done really well in black and white both really look good on Blu-ray. Agreed. Yeah. So, but either way, the House of Wax I bought for like eight dollars. Like it, it was nothing. Um, I'm sure though, if you did a Google search, you could find it streaming or somewhere to rent for a couple bucks. Sure. I'm sure it's out there. Um, but great. Yeah. So are you ready for this week's question? I am. Okay. So this week's question came from a person named Quincy. And Quincy said, dear, I saw in a movie, I'm having, I'm having to homeschool my first grader while sheltering from the pandemic. What should I cover in our classes? So I have to say, I did struggle with this question a bit. Yeah, so did as, I. I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit that as well. Yeah, and for me, it was hard because I don't really feel like I've had the, quote, typical childhood. <laughs> now, I realize, like, that's a big statement to make because as I get older and, you know, talk to other folks... I realize like everybody's childhood is different, you know, mm -hmm. but I think there kind of is when I say typical childhood, what dawns on me is, oh, I watched Sesame Street 
and Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. uh, those were two programs I never watched. Uh, <laughs> my parents did not play those shows for us. Yeah, I, th I think that is very atypical, especially in the United States. Right. So, you know, I don't really, and the other thing for me with my childhood is I don't really recall my parents monitoring much of the things that my brother and I were watching. Now, my brother is only like a little over a year younger than me. So we're very close in age. So we were often like in life going through things at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I don't really remember my parents being like, oh, you can't watch that. Now, I will say it's not like my mom was dropping us off at R-rated movies either. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, yeah. But there yeah. was no filter going on. And I, you know, so when I saw this question come through, you know, especially a first grader, I'm like, well, by second grade, I was watching Halloween. You know, because yeah. my dad and I literally watched it with my dad because it was like on TV and he was just like, oh, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's all made up. But to a kid, yeah, it was terrifying. And I also recall, too, my mom allowing me to have a sleepover. As you know, uh, my birthday's October 13th. I had a bunch of, you know, girlfriends over and we watched a bunch of Friday the 13th movies and I was maybe like 10 or 11. Yeah, my mom got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure because like those are even, I think, um, for a kid at least more extreme. Like they're sillier than Halloween maybe, but like for a kid well, yeah. there's, you know, the yeah, there's a lot of stuff in those movies. I mean, right, and especially to your point, like when you're back then, you know, this would have been probably early '90s, and so the movies at that point, like how many slashers really came out? Like slashers were big in the '80s, and then you're showing like these little girls these slasher flicks, which now you know you watch them. Like if I showed one of those to my um, niece, who's about 16 she'd probably laugh like she'd probably think they're silly but back then there was nothing like that right and if, so they you were know, scary and i think even at you know eight or ten years old they would still be scary oh definitely so you know those were some reasons of why i struggled with answering the question so i will say that my pick really came from the help of my husband ben who I mean, not that his childhood was, like, perfect, but he definitely watched more of, I would say, the regular programming that children do. And he was the one that reminded me about Donald Duck in Match Math Magic Land, which he had showed to me, I would say, years ago. And this was like during a period of time when Ben was showing me a lot of things that I missed out on as a kid, um, especially some old TV programs. Like he showed me I Love Lucy. I never watched that until I met Ben. Oh, that's and funny. Yeah, Lucy was definitely yeah. around when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like we watched a decent amount of Nick at Night. And, you know, I think I think there were times where my parents were like, oh, like, this is a really, like, famous episode, you know, and, like, I've seen a lot of, a lot of those. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, like, obviously, I knew what I Love Lucy was, but I just never watched an episode. And, you know, Ben would ask, well, what were you watching? And, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you, what we were watching was pro wrestling, mm. which I still remember the first time. So my mom, you know, again, allowed us to watch it, but I don't really think she knew what it was until she took us to a live event. And I still remember when she took us to a live event, she was absolutely mortified. <laughs> like, she was like, why are you watching this? Like, almost like asking my brother and I, like, who is allowing us to? <laughs> right. And I'm like, you. Like, we watch this every week, you know? Yeah. So it, Wrestling was never something I got into as a kid, even though I had friends that were in it. And I feel like my parents were dismissive of it. But if I had really oh, wanted yeah. to watch it, like, I would have been able to, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember we were obviously allowed to watch it, but like cousins of ours, even my aunt would ask my mom, like, have you ever seen that? Do you know what they do on there? And yeah, I don't know. But my parents just they would let us get away with stuff. But anyway, you know, so back to Donald Duck. Mm -hmm. um, so this why I picked this little short is because well for one it's only about 27 minutes long which i think especially for a child it can be hard to focus on you know sitting there and watching a movie i i remember when i took my niece to see a movie for the first time she was maybe about five and she was engaged through most of it, but, you know, they get a little antsy. Mm -hmm. They don't want to sit there. So with 27 minutes, it's pretty swift run time. And you can pull it up on YouTube, which I will post the link on our page on moviejohn.com for those that are interested. But I, I didn't explore this. And Ryan, maybe you can because you have Disney+. Plus. It might be on there. Uh, I looked, actually, and it is not currently on Disney Plus for some reason. Okay. Okay. So then I guess YouTube is the option. But basically what the movie is, is it's Donald is wandering through the forest and he suddenly finds himself in a land of numbers. So what I love about the old animation, it just looks really cool. Like instead of trees, he's just surrounded by numbers but they're like all different sizes mm -hmm. and shapes to kind of look like a forest. And now this could be quite, it could be a little creepy to some, but then all of a sudden like this voice from above starts talking to, to Donald because Donald's like, where am I? And the voice introduces himself as the spirit of adventure. Yes. <laughs> um, and then that, basically becomes not only Donald's guide, but it also becomes the viewer's guide to like, this is what what's going on. And this is where you have found yourself. But essentially, this movie was made to show kids how mathematics can be found everywhere. And it obviously being that it is an animation, it uses a lot of visuals to explain math. Mm -hmm which is really cool, um, especially, you know, for someone like me as a child, I actually liked math quite a bit, but I hated science. Like I got to a point in science where it just made absolutely no sense to me. 
Like, I feel like I was fine in biology, but chemistry just confused me. Yeah, I, I also struggled a lot with chemistry. Um, and I think this encapsulates the things that I enjoy about math and science, which is learning about them, but not actually having to do anything. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, you know, I didn't mind doing like math problems, at least up through, you know, algebra in high school or geometry, but like, you know, the lab work in science was always the part that was like least interesting. Like I would rather just watch a documentary about science than yeah, do, which, you know, experiments. Which that was something I really liked about college was the fact that the classes were large. So you would just watch the teacher do the lab. Mm -hmm. I was much better myself watching them do it because I will be honest, when I had to do labs, it made me so nervous. I was like, I'm going to blow something up <laughs> or I'm going to like spill acid on someone and turn them into Two-Face. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't like labs at all. I mean, I could get through it, but what, what I really, like, I didn't, I, in my lab groups, I was typically the person that would actually do the things because other people were even more freaked out. Uh, but the, I could see that about you. Like yeah. you probably were like, you know what? I'll do it. And yeah. You're probably real calm. See, I was the one, like, I don't want to touch anything, but I was like, I'll do it, but you're going to write all the notes. Yep, I would write all the notes, yeah. and people would allow it because my handwriting was nice. Your handwriting is nice, Rosalie. Yeah, so that, <laughs> like I was like, yeah, see, I should write the notes because then they'll be able to read them. You know, and then I, I would just get frustrated if it was like, oh, these two things are supposed to form like a yellow solid, and it was like orange, and I'd be like, oh, like, but you can't do it again because they don't give you enough like materials most of the time, or now, like, you know. Now this is making remit making me remember like horrific things from my childhood when I was in a chemistry class the one time and I don't really know why this occurred but we one day had someone come in with like reptiles and I really do not like snakes like Indiana Jones I like interest them and there was this huge snake that this guy brought in. Like, I'm talking, it was one of those, like, cobra-type snakes. And, you know, the guy was like, oh, it's so friendly, it's so friendly. And then what basically our teacher wanted us to do was line up, and we would all pet the snake. Mm -hmm. I refused. I was like, I'm not touching the snake. And the teacher got so upset about it. Like, he took me out in the hallway, and he's like, well, you know, you should just touch the snake. And it's like, no, no, I'm not. And I think he may have even, like, during a parent-teacher conference, like, told my mom, like, that I was petrified of this snake. And it became, like, the thing then for the rest of the year, because, like, I also do not like watching snakes eat. Okay, yeah. And that was, gross. like, another thing in science class, like, oh, we're going to drop the mouse in. No, no, I don't like that kind of stuff. It bothers me. So science in me was never a good mix. Math, I, I was fine. Because math made sense to me. Right. Science, there's a lot of question. Like, and and I don't, I don't really like that. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I totally diverted there. But now everyone knows I don't like snakes. 
Yeah, it's funny because if that had been if that had been me, my mom who uh, hates snakes as much as if not more than Indiana Jones would have definitely come to come to the defense and been like, "Look, if the kid doesn't want to touch the snake, I don't see what value there is in forcing a kid to touch a snake." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh... But anyway, so, you know, Donald's wandering around this math magic land. And to quote the film, the spirit even tells Donald math can be found in the darndest places. So as they're kind of going through these different scenarios, essentially he's showing him like, hey, math is in music. It's in buildings, games that you play, like such as baseball or football or basketball and then even in like scientific instruments that are made like the microscope you know a lot of things that we use every day involve math so it's trying to show that math is more than just numbers and i do feel like especially when you're taking like as you get older like algebra and geometry like i do remember teachers being like well math is everywhere and because people would be like, when am I going to ever use right. this? I, you know, I remember that being a, a theme. So that's what this film is trying to break down is you do use math everywhere. Um, now, the only flaw I would say with the film is that, and, and Ben was really the one that pointed this out to me because he's into history and everything, but it does take a Eurocentric view when showing the history of math. Uh, so you're not really seeing like any kind of of the Asian history oh, of yeah. how, you know, they developed math and utilized math. Uh, so, you know, that's one flaw. But other than that, I would say it's very engaging. And I like a lot of the animation. And it's mixed with also using live action film, which it was kind of reminding me, I think that was a thing in old like Disney that they would do is kind of mix animation with live action because there's a scene like for example where Donald is playing billiards playing pool and the pool table and the balls are all you know real live action but then Donald is within that world so it's like you're mixing the two worlds of animation and then the live action yeah and it it tends to look pretty good there's another uh disney short that was made for tv called the plausible impossible which is okay um about how they how, how animation works basically and donald is also in there it's hosted by walt disney and at one point like donald like walks off the page and onto like Walt's desk and he's like hiding under like the you know like the mat that goes on your desk for you to write on without scratching the wood and there's like a little bump and like Walt Disney's like poking at him and it's like moving and it's very it's very convincing like even though you can tell when like okay this is a still image that they're doing the animation on and now it's fully live action but it like goes back and forth um fast enough where like, I, you know, unless I was a, an adult specifically trying to figure out how it worked, I wouldn't have noticed because it feels pretty seamless. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Similar with this. Um, it, it, it looks good. Like, I don't find it distracting at all. I, I found it fun. And the other thing that I have to mention, too, is 
there's a whole section on pentagrams. Yes. Yeah. I do remember that because I, I remember watching this as a kid and, you know, it was kind of in the middle of like everyone being freaked out about like Satan worship and the devil and everything. And I was like, oh, pentagrams uh, are like not a big deal. <laughs> like, Right. Which that's one thing I was going to mention is that nothing when the pentagram section happens, nothing is mentioned about witchcraft. However, there is basically a discussion of these secret meetings that would happen um, in Greece. And basically, it was a math cult. And that's where the discussion of the pentagram begins, because I guess the pentagram was a symbol that they would have on their hand as a way to know they were part of this math cult. Nice. Which was pretty cool. And then Ben and I afterwards were discussing. So if you want to maybe follow up after this film, you could show the kid the documentary Hail Satan. <laughs> because it would fit very well. <laughs> That's um, really funny. Um, I think one of the things that I appreciate about the short is, I guess I guess there's two things. Um, is one using like it's very imaginative in terms of how it presents math and i do like the approach of showing how math shows up in all these different other areas um and i think that leads it to be like it makes it fun and exciting and interesting to learn about math you know what i mean like to just have the broader concepts out there yes and it's i feel in the end that's really what it wants you to take away is that simple message of, you know what, math is important and we utilize it to do so many things. It's not just for charts or graphs or counting. It, you know, it it shows up everywhere. And I think that's what it really wants the kid to take away. So I think that's another thing when you're talking about, especially a younger child, like showing them something, you want the message to be clear Mm -hmm. and something easy that they can take away with so it doesn't bombard you with like a lot of math problems you know right (laughs) where the kid's just gonna get overwhelmed definitely yeah and and donald's always a fun character oh yeah he he is fun i actually again was recalling from my youth when we went to disney world do you remember those um like character hats that you could buy Mm -hmm. yeah my brother Love Donald Duck. And I remember it was hard to find Donald Duck items. You know, my mom was struggling with finding Donald Duck merchandise. And again, you know, this was probably late 80s, early 90s. So I don't think like there was really the Disney store or anything. Mm -hmm. And when we went to Disney World, my brother was so excited because he got a Donald Duck, like one of those character hats. And I guess it was kind of interesting. Like not a lot of people were huge Donald Duck fans, but he really liked him. And I also got a Daisy hat, which that's another character that you like. There wasn't a lot of merchandise. Right. Right. When we were kids. And when you go to the park, though, of course, they have everything. Right. It's funny. My uh, first time in uh, Disney World was, uh, I want to say, 96. So I would have been like 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really excited because they had the Star Wars ride. And that was the only place that you could buy Star Wars things because 
it was yeah it was like in that period between like the prequels hadn't been Mm -hmm. announced yet and like uh there it it just star wars was not popular at the time which is mind-blowing to think about but uh i remember being so excited that i could finally get like a star wars t-shirt and now you can get them everywhere yeah i mean i'm not a huge as you know star wars buff or fan but i guess when when did it come out it was in the 80s yeah the first movie is 77 and the last original movie was 83 Okay, so then that would explain, like, by the time you were getting into it, yeah, the merch was probably done. Mm-hmm. Because I know, like, Ben, he's a bit older. He, like, when he was a kid, he just remembers the merch being everywhere. Yep. Like you know? it is now, and basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. But it was also one of the first movies to really capitalize on the merch. Yeah. So, like he said, he just remembers it being everywhere, like plushies, T-shirts, mm-hmm. lunchboxes. It was on everything. Yeah. And I think, like, like, we definitely had some of the, like, we were able to find some of the vintage stuff at, like, flea markets and stuff when we were kids. Sure. But it was still just a rare treat to be like, oh, there's actual Star Wars things. And I think that was one of the first shirts I had. Like, my, I think my parents got me one that was, like, in an adult size. So I would have it, like, as long as possible. <laughs> That's um, awesome. They were know. planning. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, no, I really, I enjoyed the short uh, a lot. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I remember it well enough um, to say that I just really, I think it's a, it, it's a really fun, fun pick overall. Yeah. It's a fun watch, not just for kids. I think adults would enjoy it too. So if Quincy's, you know, deciding to watch the movie with his child, it's not going to be that bad of a watch for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about you? What did you pick? So I also struggled with this because um, I was trying to come up with something that was entertaining um, and like with something that wasn't, I was, I was trying to rack my brain to think of something that like a kid probably maybe has not seen or, uh, but did also have some kind of educational value to it. Um, right. And where I eventually landed was uh, thinking about Charlie Chaplin, um, as as one often does, <laughs> uh, and just thinking about uh, there's actually a review of someone I follow on Letterbox that I wanted to share. Oh, cool! All right, so I can't find the the review uh, at hand. I thought I thought I had it, but anyway, the the point of the review was this was uh, a person who was like our age, um, just was revisiting modern times. You know, it was like a Sunday afternoon. They had it on and their six-year-old was playing in the room. And after about 20 minutes, the sound of the six-year-old playing had completely stopped. And she was completely entranced by watching the antics of the tramp. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, And I remember some Chaplin shorts or sequences being included in some like some TV programming that would use like old film clips and stuff that was like, I presume in the public domain, um, you know, or licensed or whatever to create montages to music and things. So like, I think even Sesame street occasionally used like a bit of a Charlie Chaplin short as like, you know, part of their programming. Um, but modern times is also not too long for a kid. Um, it's, you know, 87 minutes, but it's also pretty easily, I think, broken up into like 12 or 15 minute chunks. Mm-hmm. 
And I think what makes Chamblin so appealing to me is that he, to me, manages to merge slapstick and story together really well. Um, like even like the way that he builds his slapstick gags, uh, and my favorite of which is in this movie where he's working in the department store and he's on roller skates. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it it's telling a story. It's, it's a simple story of just, you know, a guy who is kind of goofing off <laughs> as the night watchman in a department store. Um, but it is, but there is a kind of, it does have that sort of rise and fall story action to it where it kind of builds and builds and builds and it becomes funnier and funnier and funnier. And then, you know, there's some kind of crescendo to the whole thing. Um, and I think that, that speaks to the structure of modern times overall, because it is kind of an episodic film, but the format also, you know, mirrors the cyclical nature of the adventures of the tramp and Ellen, the young woman that he's infatuated with in this film. Um, you know, because they're so often like they think they have, they catch a break and then something goes wrong and then they have to escape. And then they think they catch a break and then something goes wrong and they have to escape. So I think, that's part of also like that repetitive nature of it in a way also I think makes it more accessible to kids because they can kind of understand like what the like what the story is of this character if that makes sense no that makes a lot of sense and also I think it's really cool that you picked a silent movie uh, because it's another it's very accessible to children I mean well to anybody you know, because for one, they don't really obviously use dialogue. Mm-hmm. So it's just simply watching the picture to understand the story of what's going on. And I think to your point, the antics and, you know, the tramps comedic timing would very much so intrigue children. Yeah. And, you know, this is the one where he also sings his uh, like the, it's like a song made out of nonsense because he loses the the lyrics that he's written yeah. on like the, his sleeve right. mm-hmm. um which is it, that's a funny sequence i feel like nonsense songs are a staple of <clears throat> children's entertainment as well yeah. um mm-hmm. so i thought this movie would be very appealing for a child <clears throat> i also and this is like a joke but not a joke at the same time like it's not I don't think it's ever too early for kids to learn that the world can be an unfriendly place, but I think doing it through comedy um, and specifically, you know, an unfriendly place in the sense of, you know, capitalism rules us all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of built into this movie in a way that I think is like, I don't want to say it's understandable for a child. It's not that they're going to be like, oh, it's really the struggle about the tramp and, you know, the machine that is the modern world. But I think I think they will understand in the in the comedy that he's a guy that's trying to get by and he's trying these different things and all the, you know, everything keeps going wrong. And I think there's a, you know, the ultimate lesson, of course, being like not to give up and to keep on trying, which I think is common to a lot of kids' movies. But you know, with this, it does have that added element of, you know, him trying to find a job and um, trying to keep a job and, you know, not necessarily being able to follow his instincts when he's working. Yes, I, I agree with you. Not that you want to bring on doom and gloom 
to a young person. But I will say, I feel a lot of us maybe didn't realize that the world was kind of crappy until like your teen years. Mm -hmm. And then that's when you get all mopey and you hate everything because you realize, wow, the world sucks. Yeah. And Um, I think what makes the tramp popular, you know, in the thirties all the way up to today is that the world may be crappy, but he's still kind of a joyful character in spite of everything that happens to him. Definitely. And here's the other cool thing. I mean, exposing a young person to, you know, silent film is also a great idea because you can really see the history of how film progressed, Mm -hmm. you know, and where film actually started. And if, you know, the kid likes Charlie Chaplin, obviously there's more silent auteurs out there. Uh, My favorite being Buster Keaton. You know, but I definitely think Charlie Chaplin is a great place to start. It's what exposed me initially to silent film and then got me kind of in the door of, okay, well, now I'm going to look for more things like this. And Charlie is definitely, and I would say, obviously, one of the most prominent figures from that era. Um, but there were a lot of people doing it before him and, you know, some after. So it's a good place to start, though. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to watch. I need. I personally need to watch more Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd. But from the Chaplin that I've seen, because I've seen the most of his work, um, it it's eerie in the sense that even though it's a silent movie, which we think of, you know, as being like very old timey, like, you know, modern times and city lights um, feel very modern. Like there's a lot of, um, you know, film techniques that are still used today in an obvious way. Yes. And I think that makes it that much more accessible. Yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely the, the film technique and then also story techniques as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to figure almost every Chaplin flick and the more I watch, I've picked up on how every movie he falls in love. Yep. Like, and there typically is a dog at the focus of the movie, or at some point, just at least a dog character in yeah. his films. A dog which, or and or a child. Yes, which is another you know thing that I think would appeal to young children is the animals. Um, there is another one of his too, the circus. I caught that on Criterion Channel when it was there. I don't know if it's still on, but. It was just funny because there were so many animals utilized, but again, the dog was kind of one of the main focuses of his story. And I find like the gold rush, there's a dog as well. He actually, I think has, I for, I think it might just be called, actually, let me look it up quick. But there was one where the, the dog is the entire story, basically, that I caught on Criterion Channel. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so while you're while you're looking that up, you know, I definitely think that Charlie Chaplin is someone who can, you know, I I think uh, this is a great movie to watch with your first grader and then just get their reaction to it. You know, just ask them what they think about it. Um, you know, ask what parts they thought were really funny or uh, were really sad. You know, because I think there's enough in there. Um, you know, and 
the other thing about the tramp in general as a character is that he uh, gets into mischief um, yes. a lot of the time, which I think makes him a child-friendly character in that sense, where you know he'll do something and then it'll have unintended consequences. And I think that's also pretty, pretty kid-relatable. Which actually the movie that I was referencing, A Dog's Life, I don't know why I couldn't remember that title, but it basically is a story of him and this dog. They're trying to survive in the inner city, but they're getting into lots of mischief together. And yeah, those sorts of stories typically, I mean, again, they're entertaining to adults, but I think children especially... Because Charlie Chaplin is such, he's like an animated character himself Mm -hmm. because all of his movements, you know, and especially because they can't use their voice to convey what they're feeling. So all of his movements are exaggerated, which creates for comedy and it's humorous. And he's just, his characters are always very loud to me. You know, like you can tell when he walks into the room, it's like his character is always the loudest. And then it kind of makes the other people within the room, they're just blending in to the scenery. Yeah. Until he's getting yelled at. And then he's good at at like being meek for just those moments to like try to get sympathy, which is always funny. Yeah, I, I will say, and that's probably why I like buster keaton more than charlie because charlie seems like one of those people that i would definitely get irritated with (laughs) and you know but to your point he does do that moment where he makes you pity him then and then you're like oh i feel bad (laughs) that okay you can we can still be friends but buster well he goes more by the stone face Right. He shows little emotion. Um, but yeah, no, that was a great pick. I, I think that was really awesome that you picked a silent movie. Yeah. And, um, you know, to our question asker, if if you do show these films to your kid, we would love to hear what their reaction is. Yeah, especially who knows, it, it could make them become obsessed with silent film. That would be cool. That would be cool. So before we sign off, uh, you know, just a reminder, you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our print quarterly zine, which is actually shipping soon, featuring jetpacks, flying cars, and robots. That's right, the future. So make sure you subscribe to find a copy in your mailbox. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking advice like Quincy was, you can send us questions to dear I Saw in a Movie at gmail.com or send us a postal mail question. You can write to us at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145, Attention Movie John. And Ryan, where can people find you at? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Silver Whatever, and that's with a B. You can find my writing uh, in the pages of Movie John as well as on Cinema76.com. Um, and you can find my other podcast, uh, The Shame Files, which I do with my wife, Jill, talking about uh, movies that we haven't seen before. 
um, and also my Formula One podcast with uh, Ian Kimball called F Yeah F1. Cool. And as I mentioned earlier, I do have another podcast as well called called Cinematic Crypt, which is bi-weekly. And you can find me on Twitter at Bonjour Old Sport or Letterboxd at Rosalie Kicks. So now it's time to leave you with a piece of advice, which Ryan, I'm not sure if you have one from your film, but I have one from Donald Duck. Uh, being a silent film, I was not able to find a quote to use as advice for this. That makes sense. <laughs> um, well, I have one that is compliments of the spirit of adventure. And he says, the mind can create the most amazing things, which I totally agree with because my mind has created a lot of cool things. Like, for example, I had made a six foot something stuffed rabbit that I called or that I call Bunny Holly. And I guess I'm sharing that because I just if the child is listening, I just want you to know anything is possible. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah. So if you want to create, you know, a crazy monster in your basement, I say do it. Maybe your parents will disagree, but just do it anyway. <laughs> it's easier to ask for uh, forgiveness than permission. That's for sure. That is true. See there, you had a piece of advice. <laughs> oh, I always have advice. This was just one where I couldn't use a quote from <laughs> from the movie. Uh, but if you could, if you could see me shrug and smile like the tramp, then that's all the advice that you need to get through life, probably. <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye-bye.